a lot of emphasis in our community about churches that have been here for a long, long time. We're one of the original churches here in Boulder City ourselves. We were, we were uh, planted in 1943, and we were chartered in 1946. If you want to know a little bit about the history of our church, that out in our lobby, if you haven't seen it, is, is a wall called the Legacy Wall. And the Legacy Wall has the list of the pastors who have been here in the past. Um, some of them we have pictures of them. Some of them we don't. I don't know. Maybe they were ugly and they didn't want their picture taken. I have no idea. But we don't have pictures of some of them. Uh, but the great thing about it is, is there's a history. There's a rich history here. Uh, but we know this. This is what we know. Uh, if, if, if we learn lessons from, the hi- from history, we learn this, especially in church, that the building is not the church. The gathering that we have on Sunday morning is not the church. The church is you. The church is me. The church is us. And what God wants to do in his church is for us to go outside of the four walls of our church and live the life of the spirit that he's placed within us so that we can be in places where there are people who do not know him and they will come to a knowledge of him because of the spirit that's living in you. Now, this has been something that's been taught and talked about for years and years and years. But I'm here to tell you that if we are going to survive as a church, as an organized church here in Boulder City, we had better get about the business of doing what God has called us to do, and that's living our lives for him outside of the four walls. For so long, so many people make it their priority to make sure that they come to church, they put their best foot forward, they put on their Sunday best, they, they smile, they put on a mask, and they show up in a place, and they hope that people see them so that they can check off that they were at church and, okay, everybody saw me, it's good, and now I can go about being the person that I really am. And that's not what God has called us to do. So why are we here? I don't know if you all received an email, but I sent out an email this week and I said it's, it's, it's very important that you're here this Sunday because there's going to be some declarations that I'm going to make this morning and some, and some very specific direction things that I want to talk about. So why are we here? Those of you who, who've been around for a while know that our, our vision and our mission, um, our vision is to love God and to love others and to what? Serve. That is, that is why we're here. We're to love God, we're here to love others, and we're here to serve. But we wanted to drill down a little bit on that and, and talk about what we do. This, is, this has been heavy on my heart for a couple of months now. What do we do? Well, we do a lot of things. We have VBS. We, we do children's ministry. We, we have youth ministry. We have compassion ministry, and we're feeding the poor, and we're, we're worshiping on Sunday, and we're connecting as a, as, a, as a body of believers, and we're doing all these different things. But what is the one thing that we do? What do we do? And here is what I believe the Lord is saying that this is what Christian Center does. I'm live on Facebook. <laughs> this is what we do. Listen now. We love well, even when it's messy. 
That is what we do. It's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to look the way we want it to look. The church isn't always going to be full. We're not always going to have every person here that we want to have here. Our lives are going to be filled with challenges and struggles. But what I want Christian Center to be known for is this, that we love people well, even when it's messy. And here's why. Whenever we define what we do, we want to define why we do it. And we do it because that's what Jesus does for us. Because that's what Jesus does for us. Nick, would you just play a little? And I'm I'm not trying to stir up emotion. But what I am trying to do is communicate to you the overwhelming feelings that I believe I'm having and why I'm having them. Because for us to expect an emerging generation that the church has reached about 4% to walk through those doors without us going out and getting them is really ludicrous. So the reason we're here is to love God, to love others and serve. And what we do is we love well even when it's messy. And why? It's because Jesus has done that for us. I want to take a pause for a second and help you understand what has Jesus done for you? I mean, just take a second, guys, listen. Today's message is on the scenic route. We're in our road sign series, but I just want to pause and stop for a second and appeal to your heart. What has Jesus done for you? Think back to that moment when you connected with him. Think back to that moment when you had that intimate connection with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Think of that time when you said, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your spirit in me. I've I've taken five steps forward and 12 steps backwards. It's not working. I'm still bitter. I'm still frustrated. I'm still angry. And then Jesus came in. And the fullness of what he did for you was in your face. And he continues to work on your behalf. Now I know not everybody in the room has made that decision for Jesus. But those of you who have made that decision for Jesus, you know what God has done for you. And so the whole purpose of really why we're here is to share what Jesus has done for us with others. So we struggle with all kinds of things. We struggle with our identity. We, we, we struggle in our identity in 
who, who are we? What, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do this job? Am I supposed to do that job? Am I called to do this thing or that thing? Maybe your identity is in being a parent. You, 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 you've got all your identity comes from being a parent. And, and when your kids reject you, you take it personally. Or, or your identity is in the people that you surround yourself with. You're in a group of people and you identify with those people and when you're not with them, you're lost. You, you identify with a, with a specific socioeconomic type of situation or you, you identify with a different gender or you identify with a different group of people and all these different things are, are, are so confusing because they're not focused in or centered on the one who makes it all make sense. And so as a world, as a community, we struggle with identity. I identify with my friends that are no longer here. I lost part of my identity because they're not here anymore. Maybe there's some of you who are youth in, in here and, and being that summer's coming, you're a little nervous about not being able to be around the friends that you're always with. So you identify with them. Identity is huge and we struggle. We struggle with relationships. We struggle with putting other things and people before God. Because we feel like if we don't give attention to those things that people are going to look different upon us or look poorly upon us. And so we put money before God. We put possessions before God. We put our security before God. We put relationships before God. We, we, we have relationships where maybe, maybe one person in a relationship is demanding that you do certain things and, and rather than having an honest conversation about that and saying, listen, my, 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 my relationship with Jesus is more important than what you're demanding that I do or what you're, you're manipulating me to do, but rather we succumb to that because we're, we're afraid we'll lose that relationship. Hear me now. We struggle with addiction. And I'm not talking about just drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about that as well. But addictions to things like our phones. I mean, I'll confess the first thing I do in the morning is I open up this thing and see what happened at night. And granted, my Bible is on here, and so I, I read the Bible, but it's the first thing I grab in the morning. It can't be healthy. We're addicted to those same relationships I talked about. We struggle with self-esteem issues. We're so afraid that people are going to reject us if we're the real person that we really are. Here, here's the deal. This is a quote that I heard this week, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly. But why are we so afraid to be the real person that we are? 
Because our fear is, is that when we show people who we really are, if they reject us, what else do we have left? But I'm here to tell you that God wants you to be who you are because with who you are, he can work with that. He can work with that. There are people in this room that suffer from depression. I've read that depression is anger turned inward and pushed down. How many would be so bold as to say that in your life you've pushed down some anger and some frustration and not let it come out because you're afraid of maybe what people would think? If you can identify with any of the things that, that I've talked about, maybe there's another, another or two or three others that you're, you're struggling with, this is your moment. Like, Kev, this is weird. We haven't even worshipped yet. This is, I, I don't get it. This is your moment. This is your moment to say, God, I, I surrender to you. We run around as hurried church people. We, we, we get into circumstances throughout the week and, and frustration rises and we're, we're doing all these different things and, and there's no thought of God in the middle of it. It's just get it done. And then on Saturday night, maybe we have this revelation. Oh yeah, church is tomorrow. I feel good when I go there. So I'm going to go. God is saying to you this morning there is a new way of living and that way of living is at my feet that way of living is putting me first that way of living is spending time with me I went to a training yesterday one of the best trainings I've been to in a long time and I went up afterwards to the the pastor who was leading it and I was sharing with him how great I thought it was and I was sharing with him a couple of struggles that I'm having I struggle (laughs) who's shocked right I struggle so I shared with him a couple of the struggles that I was having and listen to what he said he said brother Here's two things that have saved my bacon. Spend time with Jesus and be patient. We want to do what's in this book. We want to honor God. So many of us want to be God's defenders. So many of us want to be God's standard bearers. We want to defeat Goliath, right? We want to get into battle. But Jesus, Jesus said, abide in me. 
What does it mean to abide? It means to be patient and wait and to be connected with him. So before we even get into any of the verses that I have, before we get into anything, I want to give God an opportunity to set our hearts in the right place this morning. I believe that this is what God has asked me to do for this group of people. I believe there's a reason why we don't have a lot of guests today. Because I believe that God is wanting to talk specifically to those of you who call this church their home. And who've set their hearts to be connected with God. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if you're identifying with what I'm saying, you can lift your hands. You can extend your hands to God. You can pray right where you are. You can stand. You can kneel. Whatever it may be. But there's a connection that God wants to make this morning that's going to set the tone for how we live moving forward. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for what you are doing in our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you would back us away from the desire to be on the performance track. That, God, we would stop putting you aside so that we can do your will or what we think is your will. Lord, so, so we can stop trying to do things for you and not spend time with you. You, you have a purpose and a plan for us, Lord God, and it's only found and known at your feet. Lord, would you get us out of this, this misnomer that we can get ahead of you? We can read the stories and know how they end so that we can get out ahead of you and say, come on, God, I'm your standard bearer. I got it taken care of. Refocus us, Lord. Center us on you. Center us on you and you alone. Remove the idols from our life, Lord God. Remove the desires that we've built up in our mind of things that we think you've asked us to do. And focus us in on you because it's at that place where you will reveal to us exactly what you'd have us do. Lord, most of all, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And, and the worship team will be coming up in a little bit. Um, thanks, Nick. We love Nick. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And I want to 
put your eyes on the screen for a second. And I want to encourage you to always take the scenic route. How many of you would identify and say that when, even when you're going on vacation, on vacation we just got to get there. We got to get there. Got to get there. Do you remember the story of the woman who was driving to Florida from, I think, Texas, and she was going there to, I think she was going there to kill somebody, but she, she started her journey, and she, she put adult diapers on so that she didn't have to stop to go to the bathroom. And she just rolled on through. I feel like that's what we do sometimes in our life. We, we, just, we just prepare ourselves for the journey, and we get rolling, and we're wearing our adult diapers, and we have to stop. I mean, it's a crude analogy, but that's really what we do. We, we get all prepared so we can go, 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 and not have to stop. But I believe... What God is trying to tell us ever so gently is the scenic route is where my glory and my beauty is. And if you don't take it, you're going to miss it. I I remember when I went to a a conference not too long ago in Palm Springs and I was going to go the regular route. And Dave's like, no, no. You gotta take Route 66 and you gotta go and the trains and the and the and the and the windmills and all and I was so grateful that I did that. I listened to praise music all the way and I saw the cool different things that were there. And as a matter of fact, when I got there, I called him. I said, Hey, remember? I said, Thank you, Dave, for giving me that route. It was wonderful. But our purpose of getting up in the morning is so we can get to work. So we can get busy. So we can get home. And we go to work so we can make money so we can do it all again tomorrow. And we miss the people that are standing next to us. We miss the people who we walk by. We miss the people who are all around us. That listen to this, who God has placed strategically because he knows there's potential in your life to connect with them. To love them. And so Ephesians 3, verse 14 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, listen, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. God wants to dwell in you so passionately. And so for my, for my life as a Christian, 
and I don't know if any of you can identify with this, but when I first became a Christian, I was challenged to discipline myself to be discipled and to read the Word of God and to have a disciplined prayer life and a disciplined devotional life. How many can identify that that was what was said to you? Discipline. Discipline, discipline, discipline. I don't mean to embarrass you, Brenda, but if I came to you and said, Brenda, in our intimate life, I want to be disciplined. Would that light your fire? No. (laughs) I want to be disciplined in my intimacy with my wife. I want to be disciplined in how I connect with my children. And I'm not saying that that's a wrong word or term. I'm just declaring this morning that maybe we need to change our language. God wants you to be intimate with him. He wants you to connect with him because he wants to show you his intimacy. Not because it's a strategy that he's provided, but because he genuinely loves you. And I know for me, when I come into the office and I've worked a little bit, I have a disciplined time where it'll come up on my calendar and it's called the daily office. And there are times when I will say, this is me being transparent. This is me being vulnerable. There are, there are times when daily office will pop up on my phone and a daily office is basically just a time with God. We, we practice centering prayer. Now, don't freak out. That's not Eastern mysticism. It's centering on Jesus. So there are times when I come into the office and it'll pop up my calendar, daily office, and I will make a conscious decision to say, I don't have time for that right now. I'm going to do that later. And then I don't. And then inevitably, something happens. And I feel like I've missed out on something. And I'll have a moment of frustration. Or my wife and I will get into a miscommunication. And then I begin to feel guilty because I didn't spend time with God. Can anybody identify? <laughs> but here's, here's the key. Why do we do the things that we don't want to do? Why do we not do the things that we want to do? Why do we find ourselves struggling with that same sin again? Why do we find ourselves avoiding people? Why why do we find ourselves getting into places where frustration begins to emerge? Why do, do my wife and I get to a place where we're disconnected in such a way that we can't even 
communicate with one another because we're on different wavelengths. These are the struggles of life that we deal with over and over and over again, and I know you know what I'm talking about. I'm on the freeway again, and I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm out in public again, and I'm letting my eyes fall onto something I shouldn't. I'm, I'm, I'm with my friends, and, and I'm tempted to let them lead me down a path that I don't want to go down. I'm on the internet again, and I'm stuck. I'm in an argument with my spouse or my significant other, and I'm wanting my way. This is not new stuff. This is all stuff that we know. And I want you to stop and think for a second If we have the Spirit of God living within us, if we have been saved, if we have been bought with a price, if we know Jesus, then how in the world is it that we continue to struggle with these things again and again and again? Well, the overtly religious person would say, I don't struggle with those things because I've got it figured out. I went to a, a, another time with, with pastors and, I, and we were encouraged to get with someone else who wasn't the person that you, you domicile with. They said, go to someone else. And we were doing a, a scripture reading and we were supposed to, to talk about what that verse meant to us. And so I went over to this person and I'm, you know, I'm not going to name names, it's not important, but went over to this person, I said, well, what, what is that saying to you? And, th- and the whole concept was that we, we were talking about the context of doing too much and being stressed, and his words just rang out like a gong. I've been in ministry for 20-some years, and I can honestly say I've never felt the pressure or the stress of the world because I am firmly grounded and rooted in Jesus. And I said, well, I want to hang out with you because I blow it often. Are we really just fooling ourselves? But listen, when you struggle with the things that I talked about or other things, I want you to remember this Verse Now, get ready, because I don't know if you've ever really thought about it in the context that I'm going to say it. But if you have your Bibles, turn to John 15, chapter 9. <clears throat> get ready. Are you ready? Is every eye focused? Is every ear attuned? Are you prepared? Is your heart open for what I'm about to read? Every eye, every ear ready to receive what I'm about to read. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit 
are the Holy Trinity and have dwelled for all eternity and have never been separated. There have always been one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they are love. God is love. And Jesus, out of his own mouth, says it like this. As God the Father has loved me, the Son, I love you. God loves you with the same love as the Father loves the Son. Now that is a mind-boggling concept to even allow into your mind. But Nicole, you get it because you love this baby and you would do anything for this baby and you love that baby and you would do anything for that baby. And you who have had children understand that. Those of you who have taken on other people's children as your love, you understand that because they're people who are innocent and that you love them and you want to connect with them. And so when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I love you, this is nothing to just stop and say, well, I don't understand that. That's not a big deal. That is the essence of what we do. That is the essence of who we are. The essence, the, the, the beginning, the starting point is that because God has loved Jesus, and because Jesus loves us with that same love, we therefore are able to do more than we even think we can do. And when you are tempted to feel guilty about what you haven't done or what you've done, remember that God's love goes deep and wide, and that you can't outrun it. And that you can't escape from it. And nothing that you've done and nothing that you will do will ever take you away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So because of that, because of that, the focus is not on being the most righteous person you can be doing the greatest things for God, making sure I tell everybody where they're wrong and how they don't measure up. But we find our purpose at the feet of Him and we allow His Spirit to speak truth to us. We take His Spirit to other people by the way that we live and then we get out of His way and let Him do the work in other people. But this can only be accomplished when we get out of ourselves and we focus on him. If you think about it, how many, how many of you have an electronic device that runs off a power cord and you plug it in and you charge it and then you never have to charge it again? I learned the hard way when I tried to trim my beard about a month and a half ago, and I got halfway through. How many have had this happen? And it gets stuck. It doesn't work. 
So that's what the concept that we're talking about this morning is abiding in Jesus. What does that look like? There are a couple things that I want to encourage you to do. And, and listen, this is where it gets hard, guys. This is where it gets difficult. How many of you can, can be honest and raise your hand and say that I've had a relationship, a human relationship, that I haven't done the work in being intimate and spending enough time with that person and that relationship has become strained? Anybody? Can anybody just identify with that? I have relationships and I don't spend time, I don't spend quality time, or we get off of our focus and we find ourselves in a strained relationship because we're not doing the things that we need to do to connect. Why would it be different with God? And so there's a couple of things that are in Scripture that I want to encourage you to do not as an act of discipline, but as an act of surrender so that you can increase intimacy. And the first one is the one commandment in the Old Testament of the Ten Commandments that has the most written about it. There's all kinds of other commandments. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. But when God talks about Sabbath and rest, it goes on and on and on. So if, if I had a relationship with you and I sat you down and I said, hey, let's talk. And I spent five minutes talking about one thing, but I spent 30 minutes talking about the other thing. Which thing would you think was more important? The one I spent a lot of time talking about. Do you have a 24-hour period in your life, this is not a legalistic thing, have you made or cut out a 24-hour period of your life, your week, where you can delight in the Lord and rest? This doesn't mean that you're on your face before God for 18 hours. This doesn't mean that you're, you, you've set up a shrine in your home and you're, you're praying all day. This simply means that because you've worked all week, you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to enjoy my rest. I'm going to delight in you. Brenda and I used to take a, a Sabbath day on Friday because it just worked out with our schedule, and now our schedules have changed. And so now tomorrow will be our first Monday Sabbath day. Oh, but the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday to No, or Friday to Saturday. It's about the time that you take. And so my wife and I will do this. We'll both wake up in the morning. We both will spend our time with God in our normal devotion time. Then we'll probably have coffee together. We'll probably eat breakfast together. And then we'll go to the movies. And we'll hang out. And we'll talk. And we'll reconnect from a very stressful week. And we'll talk about how God has blessed us. And we'll delight in Him. And we'll thank Him for all the things that He's done in our lives. God is very serious about rest. And if He needed to rest, don't you think you need to rest? And the second one is time away. Time departed from the norm. Time getting away. Worship team, would you guys come on up? It's that time where we move away from what we're doing, we put down the busyness, 
and we say, I'm going to spend time with God. What does the Bible say that Jesus did often? Whenever there was a stressful situation, whenever there was something going on, whenever he did healings, whenever he had people around him, what does the Bible say he would do? He would draw away and he would connect with the Father and he would pray. Yet we think we don't need to do that. And so during our normal busy days, we go on and on and on and on and on and we wonder why at the end of the day we're absolutely a mess. How many can identify with this that we, we do, 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 do all day long and then we come home and we just want to eat dinner so that we can just get into our pajamas, so that we can just get into bed, just so we can survive another day. God says, get away. Take a moment. So here's what we do here in, in the office. This is what we attempt to do. This is what we, we, we set in our hearts to do. At certain times during the day, two, sometimes three times during the day, we as a staff will say, on our own, I'm going to draw away for 15 minutes. How many of you guys get breaks at work? I'm going to draw away for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or a half an hour. And we start with silence. How hard is it to be silent? The anxiety just builds up within us because we're so uncomfortable in silence. Our hearts have been conditioned that silence is, is awkward. But I'm here to tell you that the voice of the Lord speaks in silence. Mother Teresa was asked, what do you pray when you get alone with God? And she says, I just listen. And the reporter said, well, well, what does God say? He just listens. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we're just alone with God and we're listening and he's listening. If we are to be the church that God has called us to be, and to connect with a world that he's called us to connect with, and to love people by the Spirit, if we do not have the Spirit dwelling in us, if we're not feeding the Spirit that dwells within us, if we're not spending time with love, how can we be love? If God is love and we're not spending time with love, how can we show love? We don't know what love is if we don't spend time with love. And so what we do is we set aside a time. We say, that's the time I'm going to spend with Jesus. And we lock our doors and we don't let anybody come in. And we say, this is my time with God and it's not to be interrupted. And we spend time in silence. We spend time praying. We spend time reading the word and we spend time listening to God. There's an app that I just found and I want to recommend it to you. It's called Centering Prayer. Look it up, look it up, find it. 
on the App Store, and it walks you through what centering prayer is. Now listen, we should not be surprised that other religions utilize the practice of silence. Many other faiths also have communal worship, sacred texts or scriptures, and spiritual disciplines. The significant difference between Christian meditation and other kinds of meditation is that we are not attempting to empty our minds into nothingness or to achieve an altered state of consciousness. Instead, we practice silence and focus or center our minds upon who? Say it out loud. Jesus. We get all whipped up. Oh, they got a yoga class. <laughs> We're just stretching. Oh, they're centering prayer. They're turning into Buddhists. We're centering on Jesus. They're being silent like the Hindus. Be still and know that I am God. Its roots extend far back in Scripture to Moses and Elijah, continue into the New Testament with John the Baptist and Jesus. They've persisted throughout more than 2,000 years of Christian history. In silence, we are simply being with the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Moreover, this kind of prayer is part of our larger prayer life, which includes worship, confession, and petitions. Go ahead, Nick. We've got to get back to time with Jesus. Everything in your life as it pertains to godliness and who you are and who you're going to reach and who you're going to love is hinged upon your time with Jesus. If I go over to that door and I remove the hinge pins from the hinges, very soon after three or four times people pushing out that door, the door is going to fall off. Would anybody argue with me on that? If there are no hinge pins, the door comes unhinged. The hinge pin to your life in Christ, the hinge pin to the faith that you've put all your eggs in, the basket, the hinge pin is your time with Jesus. In daily time with Him, where you put everything else out and your rest to delight in Him. And if those two things are absent from your life, it's no wonder you get stressed. It's no wonder you feel pressure. It's no wonder you get out of your mind crazy. This week, I want to confess, my wife and I have not communicated well because we have not been together. She started a new project here at the church and I hardly see her. And when we see each other, we want to get caught up and then I'm speaking, I'm speaking Klingon, right? and she's over here going, princess language, and I, we're like not communicating. What are you saying? I don't know, what are you saying? I don't know, let's just not talk, right? 
when you're not listening to Jesus, when you're not spending time with Jesus, it's a wonder that you don't hear his voice and you miss opportunities to love people. So what we're going to do right now is, is we're going to put the, the, the offering buckets here on the stage. You've got communion in the seat back in front of you. If you're, if you're up here, there's communion on the stage if you're in the front row. We're going to dim the lights. We're going to give opportunity for prayer. So whatever you've got going on, whether you want to bring an offering, a, a, a monetary offering to the Lord, whether you want to offer your spirit to Him, and you want to do it at the what we would call the altar, the proverbial altar, you can come offer to God your heart. You can come offer to God your treasure. You can stay in your seat and take communion. You can come up here and take communion. But we just want to set a tone where Jesus is in our presence. Amen? And so, so I want to encourage you, don't worry about the right or the left or worry about who's here, who's not here. Just connect with God. We're going to sing some songs that bring Him glory.
Lord, may we know what it means to spend time with you. May we sense your presence, Lord. We give you glory in this place. Hallelujah.